Hello, and welcome to the Spirit Studios podcast. My name's Al, and in this episode, I'm joined by special guest, Lewis Jones. Lewis is a producer, a songwriter, an engineer, and fellow member of the Spirit Studios team. He's taught in bands, worked with industry figures such as Andy Gangadine and Mika, and recently launched a fantastic solo project called Birkenhoff, which is what you're listening to now. You, like me, you studied at Spirit uh, before you started working at Spirit, and you graduated from the studio and live music production course, which has now evolved into the live audio engineering and music production degree. What's your musical background, and what led you to study music production and engineering further? Yeah, so I picked up a guitar when I was eight years old. My, um, my mum kind of not forced me to play it, but like very, very definitely kind of like <laughs> gave me that first little push. Encouraged kind of, you. That's a good way of putting it, yeah. When I was kind of in year 10-ish, kind of doing music GCSE, there was no like Mac suites and stuff like that. It was all just like old PCs that had Audacity on. So I tried to like write songs in Audacity and was like, this, this, is, this is no good. And then doing, doing like a, a final GCSE piece, I was like, oh, this is cool. So I went to study uh, music technology, BTEC, in a college, a place called Petrock College. They were teaching logic mainly, so... I picked up Logic and uh, doing the kind of writing in, in Logic was quite easy. But then obviously the technical stuff was stuff that I learned throughout that two years doing that, uh, that B-Tech, really. What kind of stuff was it that you were writing at the time? What, what kind of music were you into? Oh, I mean, when I went to college, uh, what year? It would have been 2011. I was into pop punk and, uh, oh, you know, I was writing like Blink style songs Excellent. and uh, A Day to Remember, stuff like that. It was all, it was all that kind of music. And then... All like our friends during during that uh, that two years they were there were all into the same kind of music. Did you skate as well? No. So I I always wished I could, and <laughs> um, I'd like I'd lo- I'd love to be like oh yeah man I skate. But growing up by the sea, I did surf a bit. So your surf spot was local to you in Devon. Yes. Is there a music scene in Devon? Uh, I I don't know much about it. Yeah, there is actually. So it's um, there's a lot of really good like um, surf music, like you know people who grew up on listening to the Chili Peppers and um, mm. stuff like that. There's a lot of amazing guitar players and stuff that will, you know, they'll go and do the open mic nights uh, at all the pubs whilst having copious amounts of cider and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. It's uh, <laughs> it's really cool actually. I've play, played my first gig in a little pub called the Thatch, and it literally has a thatched roof. Amazing. And it's, uh, it's amazing. It's it's really cool. I think I did a uh, I think I did a Foo Fighters cover. It was great. <laughs> Moving from Devon up to Manchester to to sort of study music a bit further was that something that felt necessary? What what was it that made you want to move to, to kind of take your production career further? So I did that music technology B Tech, and when I kind of finished, I was quite torn about um, whether I wanted to go and do a performance degree, uh, whether it be in Bristol or in Manchester. Or yeah. I kind of thought, well. I think I can perform. Can, can perform. Uh, I, I don't know whether a, a degree would be the most um, useful thing to me at the time. I'm sure it would have been useful, but at the time, mm-hmm. I was like, "Ah, oh, how can I kind of best use my uh, time, really?" And I'd be like, "Ah, oh, well, I'll. I enjoy doing this production. I, I enjoy using Logic. I enjoy being in the studio. I enjoy doing live sound." So I came for an open day up in. Sp- I came for two open days actually, but the first one up in Spirit, 
And um, I was told about this this course that was studio and live music production. I was like, that's literally everything you <laughs> could, could could want in a in, in a degree course. Like, plus I went to uh, see the um, the facilities. Obviously, saw like the Neve up in Spirit, but then also the venue. I really really enjoyed seeing a demonstration in there as well. I was mm. like, oh well, that's uh, sold it to me. And then I went for another open day just to kind of not really to sell it anymore, just because it was it was fun. I wanted to go and do it again. <laughs> Was it the live aspect that originally drew you more or were you more keen to get yourself into the studio? No, it was definitely the live thing. I, I enjoyed having that kind of flowing, uh, quick way of working, really. Like mm. you've, if there's a problem, you've got to solve it there and then you've got to, you know, do it. Whereas in the studio, obviously you do have to solve the problem, but like it's <laughs> an, usually it's much more relaxed. And yeah, that, that, that is definitely what originally kind of sold, sold it to me, going to the open day, seeing that uh, live demonstration. So while you were at Spirit, uh, you formed your own band called Baron. Yes. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about how that sort of began and what kind of music you guys made as well? Yeah, we formed the band literally in my first uh, sort of semester of being at Spirit, I think maybe around the November time. You know, I'd, I'd literally just moved up from this little village and I ended up kind of forming this band with these four guys who none of us really knew each other. We just kind of bumped into each other essentially and uh, obviously got on really well and we kind of used Spirit as a you know, a place to do rehearsals in, in the venue and uh, mm. demos and, you know, those kind of things, um, which which was cool. And in terms of, like, uh, music, we all kind of grew up listening to indie bands or rock bands. Uh, obviously, there was a massive kind of 2000s hit of Coldplay and The Killers and, uh, uh, I don't know, Block Party, like pe mm. people like that. And, and the lead singer, Alex, he played piano. So it was very much kind of based around piano. But then... I'd add in these kind of like big delayed reverb guitar chords and lead parts. So it would be like, okay, well, that's kind of taken it even a bit more of like a, I don't know, like an angels and airwaves kind of guitar sound that comes through. Yeah. And then obviously the drums and bass just kind of driving behind. It was, uh, it was cool. <laughs> when I think of the kind of stuff you make, I, I do think of those sort of big delayed kind of spacious guitar sounds. Oh yeah. And I mean, that, that's mainly to uh, cover up any mistakes that I make. <laughs> Yeah, just just kind of drown it in reverb and delay, and and it'll be fine. You just wash well, it away. One one of the main reasons I bought an Ebo is because you know it, it involves less playing, and you just go, oh well, it's doing it for me. <laughs> yeah. I've never I've never actually tried using an Ebo, but I think I I think I might. Um, oh, they're awesome. They're really cool. To be honest, what I actually wanted to do, I wanted to um use an actual violin bow. I was going to buy one just to kind of try it, but then I read like a couple of things on, on the internet and they were like, oh, you could like ruin your guitar and ruin the bow if you don't buy all the things for it. And I was like, oh, I'll just buy an e-bow then. It's much easier. <laughs> Going back to Baron, when you were uh, starting out, were you, were you kind of producing and engineering all the stuff that you guys were recording? Uh, in terms of demos, yeah. So right. if, if there was like a, a load of song ideas, we'd do like a, a really kind of, good demo essentially but I, I think we, we we always knew that we'd prefer to have the influence of a professional engineer and, and, a, and a professional right. producer or whatever to, to polish it off really so yeah I'd, I'd i'd be doing the demos and obviously putting in all the ideas that would kind of probably would make it into recordings at the end like i know for instance in a couple of tunes that we did like very early on did a lot of a lot of synth parts and stuff that were just in like es2 in logic and stuff so just right. like kind of box standard stuff and that actually ended up making it into like the the first single release and stuff like that because yeah. it was just like well there's no point in changing this it it works yeah yeah um but yeah and then we ended up uh going to a studio with uh Alex Miller actually and um yeah did a first EP 
So those sessions, they must have gone well because that led to you uh, doing some more work later on, but with Andy Gangadine. Yes. Andy Gangadine is a is a drummer, producer, who's worked with like the Spice Girls and Duran Duran, I know he drummed for, drum and bass stuff with, with Chase and Status. And so how did that come about working with um, Andy Gangadine? He, he ended up producing uh, some tracks for you guys. Is that right? Yeah, we ended up meeting him at... Uh... We had a session booked in at a studio in Glasgow called um, Gorble Sound, which is a beautiful studio. And um, yeah, we just kind of he'd tr- he'd like made like a little um, we'd sent him a track and he'd kind of made a uh, some edits over it essentially that he thought could could work. Yeah, we kind of started w- working from from that point up, up in there, and then yeah, went down to the studio uh, in Ely called Blue Barn Studios, where Andy knew the owner and engineer of the studio. So it's like a studio that you you sleep in as well. It's like its own self-contained thing. Oh wow! And um, yeah, we spent a lot of time down there, which was a uh, great fun. That's really cool. He was a big proponent of mixing like electronic sounds with acoustic sounds. I know in his drumming, um, and I wondered, does that influence the production of the album? And is that something that you sort of incorporated yourself? It definitely influenced the the sort sort of writing style and the time in the studio. I remember there's there was a couple of tunes that um, we were kind of trying at the time, and they were like uh, it'd be essentially like a, a drum and bass style kind of beat over a a kind of normal kind of poppy rocky song, but then instead of actually getting uh, Aaron the drummer to play a normal kind of drum and bass beat. Uh, Andy brought along this TD50 Roland, uh, literally brand new. He'd, he'd just been sent this from Roland. It like just come out. He sent him this um, electric drum kit, essentially, yeah. um, but with like one of these big brains in it, a uh, big Roland brain. So we loaded up these these two samples, which was like essentially two parts of a breakbeat. And it'd be like, and then. So then Aaron had to then play this breakbeat just by hitting two drums, but like as well as playing his ride cymbal. And kind of doing this whole thing, so he's essentially <laughs> setting off two triggers whilst playing the rest of his kit. And it was a uh, yeah. So doing that kind of thing in the studio is not something that we would have ever been like, oh, let's do that because yeah, be like, yeah. No, no, let's just pull in the breakbeat and then play drums over it. That would have made like more sense. But obviously, Andy wanted to have like that kind of feel because obviously, then the way you're then playing the actual live drums become different because you're also setting off this trigger, which is what. You know what he's made a living out. That's what he did live. That's what he does live with uh, Chase and Status, all that kind of stuff. How did Aaron find that process of drumming in the samples? Right at the start, it was not so difficult, but it took a lot of getting used to because, yeah. like, he, he, you know, obviously he can hit everything in time, but then once the breakbeat, the half the loop kind of starts, you then start listening to the break to the, to the loop, and then you're like, ah, oh, but what if you if you miss that by a, a split second? half the loop is then off and then the other half might start because you've hit that in time and it's yeah it, it does take a lot of getting used to so i, I didn't envy him but he, he definitely got the hang of it much quicker than uh well probably everybody else much <laughs> <laughs> yeah it helps that he's a fantastic drummer so well yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> so andy isn't the only kind of famous face that you've worked with i know a few years ago uh, again, this is another one of the stories that you sort of told me in passing, and I just need to know more about it. A few years ago, you flew out to Florence in Italy to work with Mika on his new album. How did that process of working with Mika come about, and what was that experience like? Yeah, so I mean, weirdly, it's all kind of linked if you go back to me starting that band at the start of being at Spirit Studios. 
and then obviously doing the whole kind of journey with the band, ending up working with Andy in Blue Barn Studios, is the guy who owned Blue Barn and is the engineer at Blue Barn is a guy called Chris Taylor, who himself is a, a session bass player. He's played on like uh, Simply Red um, stuff. He used to be in a band with Andy called The Bays, which is like yeah. a, an experimental thing. It's really cool. His son is called Max Taylor. And uh, Max, again, another session bass player. He played with uh, Roots Maneuver. He played with Groove Armada as well. Mm, cool. Um, and Max is uh, Mika's session bass player. And he also writes with him because he's a really good songwriter. Max also plays keys and sings as well. So we did a couple of writing sessions with Max when we were uh, in Blue Barn with the band. And obviously he kind of knew that I was engineering. I'd, I'd help Chris out with the engineering. I'd be doing things with like late at night. I'd be like putting guitars in because I, I knew how everything worked, all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, essentially Max had been asked to, to, to find an engineer at short notice um, to, to come over and just do what would be a, a couple of days of writing essentially. So I got a call on like, in fact, I think it was an Instagram message on like a Tuesday. It was like, um, how, how do you feel about going to, 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 to Florence next, um, next Monday? So in like six days time to go and do some engineering with Mika. Oh, and also, do you know how, you know how to work Pro Tools, right? And you know how, how an Apogee quartet works. And I was like, uh, yeah, and probably, <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, yeah, it kind of went through all the send, sending off the passport and getting the flights um, booked, all that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, s- six days later, that, there I was. In fact, probably seven days later because the flight from Gatwick was um, delayed by about four hours. So we just sat there in Gatwick <laughs> Airport. We were the last flight to leave from Gatwick on that day. Oh, didn't, la- didn't land in Florence till, like, probably about 2 a.m. or something. Wow. <laughs> we didn't land in Florence till 2 a.m. And then the dr- Mika's driver... Um, or a general kind of guy, he was like, he had the key to the flat we were staying in, which was like just literally just down the road from uh, Mika's house. And he'd lost the key. He'd lost the key to the flat. So we got, we'd got into this, into Florence airport, walked out, gone through security, walked out into the car park, met the guy. And the guy's like looking around in his car. He's like taking out bits of his car. And he's like, I've lost the key. <laughs> and we're like, okay, um, I'm sure I'll be fine. And uh, it turns out he'd actually just put it on his bed uh, when he'd been given the key in the first place. And <laughs> so he'd never left with it. He'd, he'd just <laughs> never left with it. So we, we did end up getting in the flat, but very late. <laughs> so, and then, so you got there, got in late. Were you up the next day ready to start working on, on some music? Yeah. So I think we went down, uh, up to the house, which is literally a two minute walk. Um, at uh yeah probably 11 a.m or something like that we, it would have been earlier had we got in at a, uh, <laughs> a normal time but yeah essentially he had a couple of tunes he wanted to to try um yeah i was like okay you go and sit sit, sit at the desk sit sit on logic uh, on pro tools and um i'll do some vocals so he's literally next to my uh on my right side of my head like with a neumann tlm 103 which sound sounded beautiful going through this like Shadow Hills compressor into this Apogee Quarter into Pro Tools. And he's like, okay, go. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> and was there, was there, was he singing to a full track? Like what, what stage of, of sort of writing and recording was this? Was this? A- so uh, for the tunes that I worked on, it was um, 
the beginning. So we right. he'd, he'd he'd put down like a guide piano track that he'd had. He's got he had literally behind where the computer was is a a beautiful Yamaha upright mm. piano in the room. He'd put down like a quick guide track. It's got two four on fours behind it. Um, so it was like just all plugged in. And um, he'd do that and then try some vocals. And then essentially what kind of happened while we were there, he'd, he'd, he'd kind of leave, he'd go and do phone calls, he'd go and do whatever. Mm. And then me and Max would then continue working on the tune. We'd put in like bass guitar, like MIDI drums, uh, synths, whatever it would be. And then like he'd probably come back and then do some more vocals and stuff like that. It was it was obviously bizarre but great at the same time <laughs> so it was it was absolutely a collaborative process then it wasn't like you go and Mika's like this is every this is how we're doing everything it was more just involved as a as a team you in writing yeah i mean he he definitely has a way of working mm-hmm. um which um is so it's so fast it's amazing i've never seen anybody work as fast as as that just getting ideas out or if he'll do like a take which is to, to my ears would be like, oh, that, that take was amazing. He'd be like, no, no, I, I messed up that word or or that little, there was a little bit of pitch drift or whatever. Mm. Um, but yeah, he was, it, it, it was collaborative, definitely. Um, him and Max would do a lot of the writing um, and I'd kind of put input when, when, I, when I could kind of thing. But obviously I, I'd, I was mainly there as an engineer to facilitate Pro Tools yeah. and Logic. And we used to, did a couple of different tracks. We did one in Logic, one in Pro Tools, or a couple in Pro Tools. And um, yeah, it was uh, was great. How, how did those tracks evolve? Did they end up on the album in some form or? Uh, one of them did in some form, but I remember listening to it. I think it came out maybe like a year later yeah. and it was like essentially a completely different track. <laughs> but you did, <laughs> but, uh, you were like, ah, no, I was there for yeah, the yeah, genesis yeah. of that. That's very Yeah, exactly. Cool. And but it, but it was cool seeing it from that very early stage, literally, essentially straight out of his head mm. uh, into the piano uh, that he's just singing to, and then yeah, then hearing that like a year later on uh, on Spotify or whatever, and being like, oh, that's that's cool. <laughs> what was the final track? What's what's the final track called? It's called Tiny Love Reprise. Oh, in fact, there's two. There's Tiny Love and Tiny Love Reprise. So it, essentially, either of those two. So you were the sessions you were working on were at his house in Florence. Was it a home studio setup, or was it even kind of more basic than that? No, it was a home studio setup. Don't, don't get me wrong; like he had amazing, amazing gear. Like I said, they had these like Shadow Hills compressors, this Neumann TLM one hundred three. Mm. He'd hired out like a, a Fender Strat and a Fender Precision um, just for like the session. Yeah, he had this Yamaha behind him. Uh, he had two massive Genelec monitors, which were really nice. And then like this Apogee Quartet, which obviously is essentially just an interface, but it's like a, a high-end mm. interface. So yeah, it, it was like a, a home studio setup, but uh, a high-end home studio setup, yeah. if that makes <laughs> yeah. sense. Like, it, like th- there was no console, there was no, there was no Neve sitting in his front room or anything, but like de- definitely more than you could just throw together by, you know, going and buying home studio bundle <laughs> yes yeah 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 this sort of upper spectrum of a home studio so yeah yeah you could say that in terms of creative spaces and, and home studio setups you've got one yourself which is really cool it's i know it's a place that you work on stuff when you're not at spirit um and it's in a bit of an unconventional location yeah so the studio we have is in a place called pollard yard um in ancoats way of, of manchester um and yeah it's the whole yard is a community of shipping containers, uh, like old, not disused, because I suppose they are still used, but like <laughs> they're obviously not carrying stuff anymore. <laughs> they're not, yeah. on, not yeah. on ships at the yeah. moment. They're essentially 
shipping containers. You rent them monthly, I suppose, and they give you give it you chipboard all the inside, the electrics are all in, the lighting's all in, and then you can essentially do what you want to it. So I share it with Aaron, who obviously we mentioned before. We put in flooring, painted it, and then put in all of our gear. So yeah, we've got like a nice, essentially like a home studio setup, but not in your home, in in, in a in a nice environment where it's it's warm we've got like fridge and stuff as well as all of all all of the gear you know i've got my amps there got uh guitars as well as obviously we've got speakers we've got synths all those kind of things yeah i remember you telling me about it and i came down to look and you you sort of say oh it's in a shipping container and you have an idea of what that might be like and you get there and you you walk in and you you don't feel like you're in a shipping container yeah. at all. It's you've transformed the space really. Yeah, nicely. exactly. That's the thing. As soon as you sort of step inside that that sliding door, it's like this could just be a a kind of long room. There's there's no, nothing about it that mm. screams shipping container. <laughs> Are there any particular challenges to trying to make music in a shipping container? No, I mean it's 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 a really cool place. The the only thing is, you know, potentially when the weather's bad, um, you hope you don't get any leaks coming through or. Uh, or, or you know, or, or at least just like noise, like hailstone on top of the container. But um, you know, apart from that, it's uh, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> but yeah, people can see your they can see the shipping container uh, studio on the creative block video you did uh, really recently. Actually, it was only the other week. Yeah, uh, last last week as as we speak. Yeah. So that's part of Spirit's creative block campaign. Your creative block video was totally different to the stuff I did, and it was so fun to watch. Could you talk a little bit about what the idea behind your video was and kind of how you developed it. Yeah, so I suppose, I I mean, there were definitely some similarities between the ones we did because we both used used logic, I suppose, and we both essentially did sampling or or resampling, but in two very different ways and using two kind of very different sounds, right? Yeah. So the one I did, yeah. So I had, I'd made this evolving guitar pad sound uh, last year for a separate video. And um, the idea was to essentially use that again, but in a in a whole new way. So essentially, the the the, the pad was just clean guitar signal, like recording each note at a time. So not not playing a chord and strumming it, but recording each note at a time, and then putting that all through a a bus with uh, through a guitar amp, through like delays, pedals, and uh, reverbs, all those kind of things. And then, you know, a little yeah. bit like modulation, like tremolo or something like that. And um, the idea was to then kind of take that sound. So what I did was I actually took all the plugins off, muted them all, just had like a clean signal of just a, a C-sharp note. So all you could hear was literally just the pluck of the guitar. Obviously, it just sounds yeah. dull and boring. But then the idea was to then put that back into Logic's uh, new multi-sample, stretched out that note across the whole keyboard so you essentially have a playable guitar, basically. Mm. Um, but obviously because I'd made those notes uh, kind of soft, uh, it, it kind of it becomes a bit more like a pad straight away. Yeah. And then obviously if you put in the loop and all that kind of thing, it's like, oh, you now have a, a never-ending uh, pad and then you can then put all those plugins back on, back in, like the guitar plugin, the delays, the reverbs, the modulation, and you get this like massive. It's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I love watching people work through a process like that because I'm sitting there watching the video, going, ah, "I need to go and make one of these myself now." You know, really cool. And that kind of style, that those sort of big dreamy pads and like 
it's guitar-based production, but it has like an ambient kind of texture to it. Would you say that's the kind of thing you incorporate a lot in your solo project, which is which is Birkenhoff, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, that kind of thing is something that I've just been kind of drawn to like ever since kind of picking up guitars and listening to, yeah, like, like I said, what they were saying before about those bands we were listening to when I was like growing up, like Angels and Airwaves, like all those kind of things, they obviously have all these big kind of, big chords but then kind of taking that down into a an electronic kind of style of music yeah it's definitely the the same idea and sometimes i'll like start a track and it's not necessarily something that i'll be like oh i, I want to put in this big pad sound with a uh, really nice kind of nice chord pattern I, but usually if i'm just kind of working without really thinking that that'll just come out and then i was like oh well yeah <laughs> that happened again <laughs> so birkenhoff is, is your solo project and is this kind of your main creative musical outlet that you're working on at the moment yeah no so that's that's definitely the uh the kind of main thing um alongside obviously working at spirit and stuff it's something that i've wanted to do for, for a long time I've, I've wanted to make some kind of electronic music that's you know listening to people like bonobo and uh tourist and a few other people like that bicep yeah. i was like oh i really like this style of music um it's kind of the, the main thing i predominantly listen to now nowadays like in just in, in everyday life like walk into the shop or whatever so i really wanted to do something like that but try like you said like trying to incorporate kind of a bit more of a a guitar not uh, not necessarily using guitar in it, but like more of like a guitar-based style of writing and guitar chords. One thing I do quite a lot actually is um, because my keys playing isn't amazing. I've never learned to play keyboard. What I'll do is I'll work out the actual notes of a chord on the guitar. So if it's like obviously like A minor, it'll be like A E A C E. And I'll literally play those notes in on the piano. And obviously that's not a normal piano chord to, to, to play because mm. it, it would span quite a way across the keyboard. But you end up getting this, uh, this quite cool um, inversion, I suppose, of, of, of a chord that you wouldn't usually hear on a, on a, on a piano. So yeah. I, do, I do that a lot. And, um, so you're kind of voicing a guitar chord, but across a keyboard. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and obviously, like we were saying before, especially across pads and 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 stuff like that yeah. um so yeah this this kind of thing just started i know as soon like i said something i wanted to do it for a while but it kind of properly started maybe last january january 2020 um i did a couple of tunes that actually kind of worked together and i was like oh they these are now all kind of the same kind of style so yeah then it all just kind of started to kind of roll from there then obviously lockdown happened and it was like oh it was like a like a, a full stop you know you get in, in like films and it's like a record scratch yeah. Uh, yeah. like oh but yeah then i did this remix um for uh our friend danny who's um dirty freud his his artist name he'd put out a track called uh lies mm. i can't remember when it was but i really liked the track and um as soon as i heard it i was like oh, i reckon i could use that kind of main hook in it and uh, make a bit of a like my style of track in it and um, so yeah, I asked him to send over the stems and if it'd be all right to do a remix. And that was in May of 2020. So I just had two months where I was just like, Ugh. but uh, yeah, so I then did the remix and that came out in either June or July. I can't remember. Cool. Well, I think, should we drop a little section of that in? Yeah, that works. So let's have a listen to it.
musician, engineer, producer, songwriter, live engineer. Did you always find that you wanted to do a lot of different things in music or is that something that just kind of happens organically when you're when you're trying to be creative in in the music industry? It definitely happens organically and has happened organically kind of for me kind of since studying and graduating and stuff. But I, I'd say what I kind of imagined myself doing when I was like learning and studying at college and at, and at uh, university is that I wanted to, I always wanted to play music. I always wanted to like be in a band and, you know, go and play to hundreds of thousands of people in a field somewhere. That That's kind of always the kind of goal, right? But then always in the back of my mind, I was like, I love doing live sound. I, I love doing, weirdly, I never quite enjoyed as much doing front of house sound. I always enjoyed more doing monitors, which obviously is, you're not, uh, you're not performing. You're not uh, in a, any kind of public view. You're working with the band. So the monitors is what the band hears on stage. Exactly. You're, you're working kind of directly with them to facilitate them doing a show, essentially. That's always what I wanted to do. But then doing the studio stuff um, became more and more natural and I enjoyed it more and more the more I was studying and obviously since kind of graduating as well. So yeah, it all just kind of starts to spiral and it's like, oh, now I have all these skills that can be very useful at any, any, any other time. Do you think it's important for maybe newcomers to the industry to try their hands at lots of different things and try and pick up many different skills? For sure, I'd say it's very definitely helpful to kind of yeah, have all those skills and kind of flick in and out of them is, is very useful. And it's definitely something that I've kind of learned to kind of be like, oh, well, I can kind of incorporate all of those into my music, for instance. And it's like, oh, well, I can play guitar, I can record, I can put everything together, I can mix it, all, all those kind of things. Then it's definitely works together. But then as well as that, because of playing in bands and stuff, I've then met all these other people around like, you know, for the last eight years or seven years, however long I've been here. And it's been like, from being interested in one thing, which was making GCSE music in Audacity, weirdly opened up this uh, this really um, cool door. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a really nice place to, to wrap it up, actually, I think, man. Yeah, cool. All right, thanks very much, dude. Cool, see you in a bit. See ya. So thanks again to Lewis for chatting with me in this episode. And if you'd like to hear more music like this... then check out Birkenhoff on Spotify. You can also see Lewis in action as part of the Creative Block video series, which we're sharing on the Spirit Studios Instagram page. You can find more information about the live audio engineering and music production degree, as well as info on all the other courses we offer by visiting us at our website at spiritstudios.ac.uk. Cheers. Cheers.